Well, I want to start this week where I started last week, and where I started there was with, with this very simple idea. I'm not sure what your church background is or what your church experience is, but in this church family, we believe that we're all a work in progress. We're not perfect people who have arrived. We are imperfect people who love Jesus and are in the process of being changed by Jesus. And what that means is that it is okay for us to admit that we have flaws. It's okay to admit that we've made mistakes. It's okay to admit that, man, we've done things that we wish we could take back. And so, since confession is good for the soul, I just want to work through a little exercise real quick just to kind of facilitate that sort of honesty. So here's the question. How many of you are here and you'd be willing to admit, or maybe you're online, that you have fallen for a slick sales pitch before? Show of hands. Show of hands. Okay. Okay. You don't have to raise your hands on the specifics, but let's just maybe go through some things. Maybe it was the cookware. Nervous chuckles, right? Maybe it was the timeshare. Maybe it was the date. Like they looked really good online and they were really good when you were just friends and then you actually went on a date and you were like, this is not what I thought it was going to be like. Or maybe it was the movie like we talked about in Community Time where all the good parts were in the previews. Like the previews were awesome. And then you sat in the movie and two and a half hours and $50 later, you're like, I can't believe I spent money on that and that's two and a half hours of my life. I'll never get back. And you especially felt that way if it included a lousy date. Because then you were maybe like, well, not only were you a lousy date, but given the choice of movie that you picked out, like, I'm not even sure we can even be friends anymore. Especially if they took you to Lady in the Water. It's a horrible movie. Horrible movie. In all these different situations, what, what, what is true about that? We all have things in our lives that we wish we could take it back. We wish there was a do-over button. We wish if we could go back and make a different choice, we would. And we can chuckle about falling for a slick sales pitch, at least, you know, 30 years or so later. But man, the truth is, many of us in the room, perhaps even most of us in the room this morning, we come in and there are things that we wish we could take back, that we wish we could do over that. Man, we're not laughing about them. We come in here today wishing, man, I didn't carry the regrets that I carry. And there could be relational regrets. Maybe you regret that a relationship ended, or at least the way it ended, or maybe you regret that a relationship started in some cases. Maybe you come in with financial regrets. You made a, a decision or a series of decisions, and, and it's just kind of resulted in ongoing financial hardship. Maybe it's a moral regret. Maybe you're a teenager and you stayed at your boyfriend or your girlfriend's house a little longer than was wise and, and then you crossed a line that you said you wouldn't cross. Maybe it was you got really, really low and really, really down in a moment and in a moment of weakness just looking for some way to numb the pain, you 
turned to a computer screen or you turned to a pill or you turned to a bottle and the result has been just a web of addiction that kind of characterizes your life. Or maybe something happened and you really didn't want people to know about it and so you kind of told a little lie to cover it up, but that little lie led to a bigger lie, to a bigger lie, and, and now you're just kind of trapped in just a web of dishonesty to where, and you're just perpetually stressed over, man, what will happen if people find out? I don't know what your regret is this morning. I don't know what it is that you wish you could do over, but here's what I do know about regret. I know none of us want to be there. I know all of us wish we could get out of there. But if we're going to escape the burden of regret, if we're going to find freedom from that, then what has to happen is we first have to evaluate, man, how did I get here in the first place? Because unless you know why you got somewhere, you can't get out. So how do we end up in this place of regret? The answer is this. It'll be on the screen. We don't end up with regret by chasing regret. We end up with regret by chasing rewards. We don't end up wishing we could take something back because we were running after something that we're like, well, man, in 30 years, I hope I look back at this moment and say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. We end up with regret by chasing things we actually want. For example, every Thursday from the time I was about 9 to the time I was almost 13, I ended up suffering from a stomachache. You might say, how did you end up suffering from a stomachache? Well, let me share. First off, we were homeschooled, and that has nothing to do with a stomachache. And no, we did not churn our own butter, and we did not knit our own clothes. But me and my brother and my sister, we were homeschooled from about fourth grade through seventh grade, and there were some benefits to that. First was shorter school days, because when you only have three students instead of 30, it's it's just going to be shorter. And the other benefit that was Thursday was grocery shopping day. And so my mom, on Thursday mornings, we'd have our spelling test, and then my mom would go pick up her mom, and we'd go to Walmart, and in between Walmart and our final, like, actually grocery stop, this was like back in the day when Walmart did not sell, like, foodstuffs. Like, they sold toilet paper and cat food, and that was about it. They didn't have, their super Walmart didn't exist yet. But between our Walmart run and our grocery run, we would go, treated by my grandmother, to Golden Corral to the glory of God. How did I end up with a stomachache? Well, when you're 10 years old and you have an insatiable appetite, fueled by the fact that your dear beloved mother, I love you, Mom, I know you'll watch this at 5 o'clock, you, you know you went through this season, is going through a vegan phase, so there is no meat at the house. But when you unleash a 10-year-old with a huge appetite in a sea of average junk food, what is going to happen? Well, you're just going to eat, 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 and, and like your eyes are always bigger than your stomach. And then afterwards, my mom tells the story, me and my brother would be sitting in my grandmother's shopping cart holding our stomachs in agony because we just ate way too much in pain. Now, here's, here's the thought I never had going to go and corral. I never, standing outside, like we would line up outside the door. We'd get there at 11 o'clock. We'd be the first ones in. And I couldn't wait to get to the average unlimited pizza they had. Very average, but also unlimited. And when you're 10 years old, quantity matters a whole lot more than quality. That's where I was. 
I never had the thought, I can't wait to feel miserable in about 90 minutes. I never thought that. I was just chasing after mass quantities of meat and pizza and ice cream and gummy bears. I was chasing what I wanted, but every single time I got done, it was like, man, I shouldn't have gone for the bowl of chili before the ice cream. Every time. Now, that's hysterical. It's kind of funny. But, man, that's exactly how we end up with regret. We don't end up with regret by chasing things that we're like, man, I know I'm going to regret this decision down the road. No, we end up with regret chasing things we actually want. And we see this take place in the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. And so this is what it says. We read some of it last week. We're going to read the same thing again. But it says, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate, which was another way of saying, Dad, it would be better off for me if you were dead. Incredibly cruel. And then it says, so he divided his property between them. By the way, that'll be a really big deal later on. We'll circle back to that. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So Jesus tells a story about a young man here. And this young man, like so many other young people, or even really all of us, man, he wants more than what he's getting at his dad's house. He wants more pleasure. He wants more freedom. He wants more purpose. And he's willing to do whatever it takes to get it. So he says this very cruel thing to his dad. Dad, give me my inheritance now before you die. And his dad does. And then he gets together all his stuff, all his resources, and gets as far away from his dad as he can. And with his resources, he runs after the things he wants. He runs after fun. He runs after the feelings of pleasure. He runs after chasing more meaning. But where does he end up? He ends up at what is literally rock bottom for a Jewish person. And to understand this, you have to understand the audience Jesus is speaking to here is a Jewish audience. And for Jews, pigs were considered unclean, and that meant two things. One, if you were unclean by touching something unclean, you couldn't be around your people because you might make them unclean too. But worse than that, you couldn't go to the temple and worship God. So to hire yourself out to feed pigs was literally turning your back on your people and turning your back on your God. It could not get any lower for this young man. He is at rock bottom And literally, the only option he has for food is what the pigs are eating, and those pods are actually indigestible for humans. How did he get there? He didn't set off the day he left his dad's house saying, you know what? I hope I end up destitute with nothing feeding pigs. 
No, he was chasing freedom. He was chasing purpose. He was chasing happiness. And it was chasing the things he wanted. It was chasing rewards that led him to regret. But here's the other thing about that. It wasn't that he chased it one time. It's that he went after it over and over and over and over again. Why did he go after it over and over and over again? Because he went after it once and it made him feel fine for a little bit, but it didn't last. So he went after it again and he ended up with regret again and he ends up with these feelings of longing again. And so he goes after it again and he goes after it again and he goes after it again. And that downward cycle is how he ends up at rock bottom. And it's the same way we end up at rock bottom, guys. Because we have something that we want, we run after it. It makes us happy for a little bit, but then those feelings go away and then we're filled with regret and then we run after it again and again and again. And we have this terrible cycle of longing, chasing, and regret. Longing, chasing, and regret. You can call this the sorry cycle where we just get perpetually stuck in this loop of, I have this longing for more. I have this longing for freedom. I have this longing for purpose. I have this longing for acceptance. And we run after it. We run after it really, really hard. And maybe we get it for a little while. But then we're filled with regret because it doesn't permanently satisfy. But then what do we do? We chase it again. And we chase it again, and we chase it again. And a lot of us know exactly what that's like, right? Because it's where some of us are stuck right now. It's why, for instance, maybe you're a teenager, a young adult. Man, you've already been through like six or seven dating relationships. Because you want love, and listen, God made you to want that. And so you've looked forward in a guy, you've looked forward in a girl, and, and you're in this cycle of date, break up, date, break up, date, break up, date, break up, and you've got this really, really broken heart. And yet you keep on running to somebody else to try to find the love you're looking for, to try to find the acceptance you're looking for. That's why some of us are serial job hoppers. Because you're looking for meaning, you're looking for purpose, and so... You jump into a career, and, and, and man, it's great for like two years, and then you're like, I'm just really dissatisfied. So you jump into something else, and that lasts for about two years, and you jump into something else, and that lasts for about two years, and you're 40 years old, and you've been through like six different jobs because you keep hopping around, hopping around, hopping around, trying to find something that works. And it works for a little while, but inevitably it ends up with you thinking, man, why did I do this? This is why whether you're addicted to porn or whether you're addicted to a pill or whether you're addicted to a bottle, it's why you keep going back to it. Because even though you despise yourself in the aftermath of it, man, you're just trying to find something to numb the pain. You're trying to find some sort of happiness in the middle of your darkness and you know you'll feel terrible and you'll regret it afterwards, but you kind of just keep going back to it and keep going back to it and keep going back to it, trying to find some sort of freedom from the pain you're in. 
Longing regret. Longing regret. And it begs the question, guys, why is it that we have this tendency to run after things even when we know they're going to hurt? Why do we do that? Why is it that we run after things even knowing in the back of my mind, man, this relationship is probably not going to work out. It's probably not going to work. Why do we run after the career when deep in the back of our mind we're like, I don't think this is it. Why do we run after the screen or the bottle or the pill when in the back of our mind we're like, yeah, but this isn't going to ultimately make me happy. It's going to last a few hours and then I'm going to regret it. Why do we keep running after things when in the back of our mind, man, we know they're going to hurt? And we could go a lot of different directions with that idea, guys, but where we're going to go with this morning is, is really simply this. The reason we run after things we know they're going to hurt, often it's usually just because we don't know of another way. We don't know of another option. We don't know anything else to do other than what we do, and even though the aftermath hurts, we're like, yeah, but what else am I supposed to do? So guys, what I'm here to tell you today is simply this. Man, there's a better way. There's a better way than running after the things that you regret. In fact, turn to your neighbor and say, man, there's a better way. There's a better way. There's a better way than running after a longing and ending up with regret and running after a longing and ending up with regret. There's a better way. And what I want to show us from the next part of the story of the prodigal son is how we find that better way. The first thing that has to happen is this. I have to recognize the reality of where I am. I have to recognize the reality of where I am. When my wife Grace and I were first dating, it was a long-distance relationship. We lived about two hours apart. And so when you're young and you're in love, you do stuff that's like really unwise. Like your long distance, like it would take us about an hour to say goodbye. And like I wouldn't leave her parents' house till about 1030 at night. And man, let me just tell you, the drive down 40 that late when it's dark and there's no, like you're just going. I've got the windows rolled down. I got my music turned up. I'm slapping myself in the face trying to stay awake. And it finally came to the point about eight or nine weeks into our relationship where I was like, I need to leave earlier at like seven because I think you're awesome. But I suspect if we keep doing it like this, like I'm not going to live long enough to marry you because I will fall asleep driving. I had to recognize what I was doing was not safe. It was not sustainable. And if I kept doing it, there was a really good chance I was going to get hurt. Guys, that's what has to happen for us if we're going to break out of the sorry cycle. We have to have a moment where we realize this is not good, this is not healthy, it's not sustainable, something has to change. The young man in this story has this moment, verse 17. It says, when he came to his senses, in other words, he woke up. He came to reality and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. 
He recognized where I'm at. It's not going to get better. It's not going to change. It's not sustainable. It's not safe. And if I stay where I am, it's going to take my life. Guys, for some of us today, we need to play out the logical conclusion of where we're at right now. And understand, okay, if I stay here, this is the trajectory this is taking me. If I keep making the same decision that I've been making, this is what's going to happen. And chances are, that's not going to be like a new revelation to you. It's just going to require us understanding that we are not the exception to the rule. When we continue making decisions that lead to regret, those conclusions that we've seen happen in the lives of other people that we know, man, that's exactly where we're fast-tracking ourselves. It's exactly where we're fast-tracking ourselves. Teenagers or young adults, can I just tell you, when you practice this cycle of hopping in and out of relationships and in and out of relationships and in and out of relationships and you're 18 years old and you've had a half dozen relationships, guys, you need to put a stop to that because you're simply practicing for divorce later on. You're training yourself to get into things and then when they get tough, you just break up. If you're, running, if you're a young man in here and you're chasing after performance, you're like, man, if I can just do good enough, I'll be happy. Let me tell you, you need to let the Lord get a grip on that because you're training to be a workaholic who neglects his family. If you're running to a computer screen or you're running to a bottle or you're running to a pill, let me just tell you, you need to stop and wake up to the reality that that thing is going to wreck your life and you may be able to deal with it for a little while, but where it leads to, the logical conclusion it leads to, it will destroy you. We need to wake up to reality. We have to recognize the reality of where we are. And of course, the pushback is like, but man, what do I do different? Like, I know it's not good. I know it's not healthy. But what do I do different? And that leads to the second thing. It's this. I have to recognize that a new start is possible with the Father. I have to recognize that a new start is possible with the Father a new start, guys, escaping the sorry cycle, it does not start with what. It starts with who. It doesn't start with something you do. It starts with someone you run to. In fact, watch what happens in the story next. Verse 18, he says, I will set out and go back to my father. To clarify Go back to the one that he ran from. Go back to the one that he wished was dead. But now he recognizes, man, something can be different. My life can be different. And it's different with my dad. To understand how this applies to us in this story, the young man represents every single one of us. And the father represents God. How can things be different? It's when we run back to God. We run back to the one we've been running from. Of course, that does open up a question. 
Because if you'll remember, the father gave the son exactly what he asked for earlier in the story. And it begs the question, well, well, if God is good, then why would he give me something that he knows if I'm running this direction, it's going to hurt? And that may be a question some of you guys in the room have this morning, or maybe you have watching online. Maybe the question is, man, why did God let me make those decisions? Why'd God let me do that? Why'd God just let me run on my own instead of grabbing me by the back of the neck and saying, stop? Man, it's a fair question. Why does the dad in the story let his son go do whatever he wants to do? Well, the answer is this. God knows so often in his infinite wisdom and his sovereignty that usually we won't run back to him until we recognize we actually need him. And sometimes that means God allowing us to hit rock bottom so we can actually discover that Jesus is the rock that we build our lives on. In fact, I would argue this. Sometimes the single greatest gift that God can give you is allowing you to hit rock bottom. Sometimes the single greatest gift God can give you outside the gift of His Son is allowing you to fall flat on your face to where you can realize what I'm doing is not working. And man, I need God. I need the Father. I need to go back to Him. So how does that start? How do we start returning to the Father? Well, that leads me to the third thing. It's this. Confess the mess. What do we mean confess the mess? It basically is simply this. Confess is two words. It means to say with. It means, in other words, man, you agree with somebody. So to confess means when God says you've sinned and you're out of line and you've done wrong, we simply respond and say, I agree with you. I have sinned and I've done wrong. And that's painful. That's not pleasant. You know why? Because it requires admitting that we're wrong. And nobody enjoys that. Not even my three-year-old enjoys that. For example, Kason hit his little brother Jaden with a drumstick earlier this week. He didn't learn that from me, by the way. He learned it from the same place your little kids learn all the bad things they do. It's from the sin inside of them. But as is going to happen with a three-year-old who hits his little brother, he got disciplined for it. And then I sat him down. And I was like, you need to say you're sorry to Jaden for hitting him. In fact, this is so important. We're not going to do anything else today until you say you're sorry. He didn't want to do that. He just kind of he's like, I just want to hold you. I was like, fine, I'll sit with you for a little bit. We'll, we'll hang out. We'll talk about this. And I just kept telling him over and over, you need to say you're sorry to Jane for hitting him. And finally, Kaysen's like, I don't like that. And I was like, well, I don't apologize. I don't like apologizing either, son. It's not pleasant. But if you want to restore relationship, it's required. Same thing is true when it comes to running back to the Father, guys. God doesn't want us to just feel bad about our sin. He wants us to recognize that we have sin, and He wants us to recognize that our sin is primarily against Him. In fact, watch what happens here next. 
The young man says, I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I've done wrong. I've made a mistake. I've sinned. God says I've done wrong, so that means I've done wrong. And can we just be honest? In church world, we've had a problem with this. Because we've been concerned, if other people know that I've done something wrong, if other people know that I'm not perfect, what's going to happen to me? And sometimes we even delude ourselves into thinking, well, if I'm all of a sudden honest, what is God going to think about me? Can I just tell you something? When you confess your sin, you're not telling God anything He doesn't already know. He knows it all, He sees it all, and He died for you anyway. And in this church family, guys, it's okay to admit that you're work, your work in progress. It's okay to admit you've got flaws. It's okay to admit you've made mistakes. It's okay to admit you've sinned. And I would even say this, guys. Confession is the starting point for change. Admitting that I have sinned, I've done wrong, I've gone, I've gone outside of what God says is acceptable, that is the starting point for change. To agree with what God says. But man, when we get to that moment, we've got to be so, so careful. Because we can really mess that up. And here's how we can end up doing it. Watch what the son says in verse 19. He says, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That was true. Make me like one of your hired servants. Guys, this is where we get right back on the sorry cycle. Because here's what ends up happening. We recognize, man, I can't stay where I'm at. A new start is possible with the Father. I'm going to confess my sin. And then we get hung up on a couple things. We're like, I realize I'm not worthy. I don't deserve the grace of God. I don't deserve His mercy. I don't deserve His forgiveness. I did not deserve for Jesus to die on the cross for me. And you know what, guys? It's true. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We weren't. Worthy, but that's what makes the grace of God grace. It's not giving us what we deserve. It's giving us what we don't deserve. But we often fly right past that and we go to this. I'm not worthy. I don't deserve God's grace. Well, maybe, 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 maybe if I stop sleeping with my boyfriend or girlfriend, then God will like me again. Or maybe if I start reading my Bible. Or maybe if I start going back to church. Or maybe if I forgive this person, or if I do some churchy things like show up and serve and show up to a group or show up and give. Maybe if I work for God, then God will love me. I can work my way into his family. And guys, can I just tell you, that's just going to put you right on the sorry cycle, and here's why. If you get all the way to the point of confessing your sin, and the next thing is like, well, let me try to do stuff for God. None of those things I mentioned are bad. You should do all those things. But if you think that's what makes you right with God, that that's finally going to give you the belonging and the purpose and the meaning, the freedom that you want, you're just going to be disappointed because I guarantee you what's going to happen is this. You're going to try real hard for about two weeks, and then you're going to flop. You're going to try real, real hard for a season, and you're going to fail. And you'll just be filled with regret again. 
And in church world, this is how we get stuck on the sorry cycle because we try to work to impress God and we try to work to impress God and it never actually works out and we never even really end up with a relationship with God. We just end up with regret, with this constant feeling that we're not good enough and we can't measure up. Well, guys, here's reality. We cannot measure up to a perfect God You'll never break your way out of the sorry cycle with work. What we have to understand, though, this morning is this. The way out of the sorry cycle isn't work. It's worship. The way out of the sorry cycle is not me trying to earn God's love. It is turning to God in worship. And when I say worship, guys, I'm not talking about singing. Because worship is such a broader application than that. Worship is the fundamental reorientation of your life to where your devotion, your attention, your affection, your life is now fully given to God. That's the way out. Not through work. Through worship. We see this take place in the life of a man named David who made some incredibly bad decisions. He committed adultery, then conspired to have her husband murdered. And then God confronted him on it. And David's response to that moment is recorded in Psalm chapter 51. But watch what he says in Psalm chapter 51, verse 16 and 17. He says this, You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. In other words, When God calls us to confess sin, God does not call us to just start doing things for Him. But He says this, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. A heart that is broken over sin, a heart that is broken over our lack of deserving and our lack of worth because of our sin. But what does David do? He doesn't go and say, well, God, let me try to do this laundry list of things for you. Watch what he does. Verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God. Watch this. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. When God says you've done wrong and you've sinned, David says you're right. More than that, when God says, man, you're born a sinner. And without a relationship with me through my son, Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity separated from me. David would say, man, God, you're right when you judge. This is what worship looks like, guys. This is a posture of worship. This is a posture of somebody that wants to give their life to Christ. And this is the ongoing posture of somebody who has given their life to Christ. Create in me a pure heart, O God. And renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The way out of regret, guys, it isn't work. It's worship.
It's turning to Jesus and fully giving your life to Him. So I want to invite us to pray this morning. And I just wonder, maybe there's somebody here. You've been trying to work your way to God. That's what you've been trying to do. You've, you've realized, man, I'm not worthy. I'm not worth it. But maybe if I do some stuff for God, listen, you don't need to work your way to God. God worked his way to you through his son, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross for your sin. And you don't have to be worth it because Jesus was already worth it in your place. You just need to give your life to him. You just need to surrender to him. You just need to fall at his feet. Have mercy on me. Oh, God, I'm a sinner. Jesus, I need you. I wonder if there's somebody in the room like that this morning. I wonder if there's somebody in the room this morning, man, you're a follower of Christ. But, man, you're stuck in the cycle of regret. It's time to run back to the Father time to run back to the Father. So whichever camp you're in this morning, if that's you, I want to encourage you to cry out to God just where you sit. And I would just say pray the same prayer David prayed with some slight modifications. Creating me a pure heart, oh God, through your Son, Jesus Christ. I confess I have done wrong. I have sinned against you. And I need to be saved. I ask you to save me. Restore to me the joy that comes from knowing you, that comes from your salvation. And give me the desire and the power to live for you the rest of my days. With heads bowed and eyes closed, the band is going to get ready to sing here in a moment. And here's how I want to encourage you guys to respond. There are three tables throughout the room here. If today you gave your life to Christ, I want to encourage you, there's a next steps box in one of the in the back of the auditorium. And there's some cards on that table. Just go to that and indicate, man, today I gave my life to Christ. If you're here today and maybe your next step is baptism, I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Just just go back there, pick up a card, indicate, I need to be baptized. We have a communion table here at the front, and if you're like, I need the Lord to search my heart, I know something is off, and, and maybe I just need to discern the reason that I keep running to these things. Communion is a time for followers of Jesus to examine themselves. And if you're struggling with something that you desperately want to break free from and you need prayer, we've got a table in the back of the auditorium. There's a rack next to it with some green clothespins on it. Just write down your struggle, share your struggle on, on a card, fold it in half, and just put it on that and just clip it to that wall. And we'll have people praying for you in that. So Heavenly Father, in the next few moments, I pray you would work deeply in people's hearts. I pray you would change lives, draw people to yourself, restore to us, God, the joy of salvation. Deliver us from the cycle of regret and longing and lead us into the freedom that comes from knowing you. 
And Jesus, we ask all these things in your name. Amen.